0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD. A lot of interesting things going on in, of course, the, the Gilgo case, Rex Hume and Asa Ellerup agreeing to do a documentary being paid seven figures, but something regarding the DNA. And I think this got a little bit blown out and a little bit confusing The way it was presented. And if you read the initial uh, article that was written in Newsday that no doubt most people were referencing uh, when they went to this story. I'm just going to read a little bit of that article right now. A cheek swab sample collected from the estranged wife of alleged Gilgo Beat serial killer Rex Ewerman matched her DNA material found on the remains of some of the homicide victims. This was from a, a law enforcement source told Newsday. The DNA sample from Asa Ellerup was taken on July 13th, the night her husband and Massapequa Park resident was arrested on charges he killed three of the women whose remains were found near Gilgo Beach in 2010. Ewoman has pled not guilty to three counts, each of first and second degree murder in the deaths of Melissa Bartolome, Megan Waterman, and Anne Boleyn Costello. Authorities said he is the prime suspect in the killing of a fourth victim, Marine Brainerd Barnes, as a special grand jury is reviewing evidence in that case. The samples were taken to confirm earlier DNA tests, Suffolk prosecutors said, pointed to Ellerup as a source of hairs found with the remains. Ellerup has not been accused of wrongdoing in this case. It's much more complicated than all of this because these were not the first DNA tests that were conducted. Earlier in in the year, there was some surreptitious, and I love that word surreptitious. They collected some surreptitious DNA by detectives grabbing twelve bottles that were uh, outside the Ehrman house, and those bottles were tested and swabbed for DNA, and the identification of a female was identified on one of the bottles and compared against hair on 3 of the Gilgo victims. So we're going to get deeper into that and explain it because it can be highly confusing because the way it was reported by a lot of stations earlier in the week was that there was brand new DNA and that doesn't happen to be true. So hang on and you cuz you're joining the Off the Cuff, the Police Off the Cuff True Crime from the Police Off the Cuff podcast. There has to be some common sense. Yes,
1: sir. They have the car stopped in 10 and ranch, by
0: We still don't know who pulled the trigger. We're going to get right into this. And joining me tonight is retired NYPD sergeant, professor, law degree, very reasonable person. (laughs) Welcome to the show, retired Sergeant Michael Geary. Hey, Billy. Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for having me. Mike, always a pleasure to have you. And I just want to get right into it because there was a lot of reporting on this that had me confused. I was just like, wait a minute. Is there brand new DNA on this case? And what what's the source of the DNA? I'm going to put a little slide up on the screen, and DNA is contained in blood, semen, skin cells, tissue, organs, muscle, brain cells, bone, teeth, hair, saliva, mucus, perspiration, fingernails, urine, feces, etc. Where can DNA evidence be found at a crime scene? DNA evidence can be collected from virtually anywhere. So, for our purposes, why did I uh, why did I put that slide up there? Because What evidentiary DNA was left on these victims? And let's not forget, the bodies were there for over 10 years. So they were left out in the elements. So it would come to reason that the only type of thing that would survive being in those elements, and provided it was probably protected and covered some way, was hairs.
2: Yeah, Billy, it's it's very fortunate for the investigators that um, the bodies were wrapped in burlap. Because if they had been maybe just buried under, you know, a couple of inches of dirt or, you know, that sort of thing, they probably would have all degenerated. But the idea, the, the fact that they were in burlap and it was, they might have been taped and they were maybe, maybe they were just a little bit under the surface of the sand, just enough uh, preservation that um, it really helped crack the case because without that DNA evidence, you've got cell phone evidence and you know cell tower evidence, things like that. Um, you have the avalanche and you have some other things, but that is really fabulous. And perhaps in a way, if Rex Sherman is guilty, he actually is uh, responsible for his own conviction by wrapping the bodies up the way he did. You know, right from the, uh, of course, that's the Gilgo
0: Four on the screen. We never want to forget the victims of, of this case. Maureen Brainerd-Barnes, who Rex Hewerman has yet to be charged with, but uh, according to the Suffolk County DA's office, they keep saying that the charges are imminent on that case. And, of course, Megan Waterman, Melissa Bartolome, and Amber Lynn Costello. Uh, Mike, some of the most important, one of the most important documents on this case, and I can't believe that many people don't go to this document when really this is the Holy Grail. This is the Bible of this case. And I'm referring to page 25 of the bail application. Right. now, DNA analysis of has recovered from an examination of the victim's bodies. During the course of this investigation, each of the four victim's bodies were examined by a forensic scientist with the Suffolk County Crime Laboratory which revealed as follows Miss Brainerd Bonds had been left restrained by three leather belts one of which was utilized to tie Bonds' feet ankle legs together during the examination of the belts a female human hair was recovered from the buckle of one of the belts by the Suffolk County Crime Lab hereafter referred to as female hair on Bonds on or about December 18 2010 the Suffolk County Laboratory uh, said this hair was able to determine that it corresponded to a Caucasian head hair fragment. Although this hair was not suitable for nuclear DNA profiling at that time, it was subsequently submitted for further DNA analysis. Megan Waterman had been bound by clear or white duct tape. During the course of the examination of Miss Waterman's body, two female human hairs were recovered, one from outside the head area and the other from the tape of the head area. Both hairs were recovered in the vicinity of Miss Waterman's head. Hereafter, two female hairs on Waterman. Examination by the Suffolk County Laboratory indicated that the two females' hairs on Waterman exhibited Caucasian-European characteristics but were unsuitable for further DNA testing at the time. The two female hairs on Waterman were subsequently submitted for further DNA analysis. So um, we're cutting to the chase. These hairs is going to be determined they, in fact, do belong to Asa Elorup. Now, that raises a lot of questions, and we're going to get more into that later, but I want to get to the other uh, Amber Costello. An examination of the body of Amber Costello revealed that she appeared to have been bound by three pieces of clear or white duct tape. During the course of the examination of Ms. Costello's body, a female human hair was recovered specifically on a piece of tape inside of the burlap wrapping in the vicinity of Miss Costello's head, here and after female hair on Costello. A subsequent examination of female hair on Costello led to the determination that it had Caucasian European characteristics. However, it was unsuitable for further DNA testing at that time at the Suffolk County Crime Laboratory. Now, because we have have to realize right now, Mike, this is 2010. Mm -hmm. They did not have the technology back then that they have now, to identify these hairs. And they use the process called mitochondrial DNA analysis. From what I understand now, and certainly I am no scientist, but they have gotten much better at identifying from a much less amount of DNA and identifying where the DNA came from. Your thoughts, Mike? Billy, first I just want to uh,
2: welcome Heather whatever, new member. And to say welcome to the show, um, you know, leaps and bounds. I mean, I remember when DNA was first used in a criminal case in New York, and you remember that. And you actually needed, you know, a, a pretty good amount of blood, and uh, they couldn't. They didn't had no idea that you could get it from hair and all these other things. It was just amazing what they could do. And then we had the uh, twin towers being attacked, and the the DNA technology leaped uh, a generation. Just that. And then now, from two thousand and ten to today, it's leaped several generations, and uh, it's gotten better and better and better and better. Uh, Touch DNA, which you saw in the Koberger case, provided uh, provided the pivotal piece of evidence they needed to uh, narrow the search down to, um, you know, Brian Koberger. It's fabulous what it's done. And the second, as you. As, as you would maybe want to read continuously in the next page, uh, everything was resubmitted again with new technology, and it narrows everything down to ASA-Alzerup. Very interesting.
0: Well, Mike, let me get to this. We'll get through this because there's just another page or so of yeah. this information. Forensic Laboratory number 1 as noted above the female hairs on Bonds, two female hairs on Waterman, female hair on Costello. Collectively, the female hairs recovered on the three victims were all sent to an outside forensic laboratory, here and after Forensic Laboratory number 1. Forensic Laboratory number 1 applies DNA techniques and direct genome sequencing in difficult-to-solve, forensic casework, and the identification of human remains. In or about July 2022, Forensic Laboratory number 1 was able to determine each of the aforementioned female hairs recovered on the three victims each belonged to a female individual, A mitochondrial haplogroup K1C2, and that this female was not any of the victims. On or about July 21st, 2022, an undercover Suffolk County police detective recovered 11 bottles from a trash receptacle that had been left out for collection in front of the residence of defendant Rex Heumann. The Suffolk County Crime Laboratory took swabs of said bottles, which was subsequently sent to Forensic Laboratory 1 for DNA profiling. Based on these new submissions on or about February 24th, 2023 forensic laboratory. Number one was able to conclude that one of the DNA profiles generated from the aforementioned bottles taken from defendant Eurman's residence indicated a female individual belonging to mitochondrial haplogroup K1C2, which is the same mitochondrial haplogroup as the female hairs recovered from the three victims. This profile was then compared against a previously tested female hair sample recovered on the remains of Miss Megan Waterman, which indicated that the two belonged to the same individual or someone closely related. Based upon the investigation and evidence recovered to date, that female is believed to be the wife of Defendant Ewerman. Forensic Laboratory Number Two, and we're almost through with this. On or about March 23, 2023. The Suffolk County Crime Laboratory requested Forensic Lab Number Two, a lab specializing in forensic mitochondrial analysis, to conduct additional independent analysis. On or about June 12, 2023, Forensic Laboratory Number Two issued a report concluding that the DNA sample from the female recovered from the bottles outside the residence of Defendant Ewerman, i.e., Ewerman's wife, and the female hair on Castell indicated that the mitochondrial DNA profiles are the same at all compared positions common to and between samples, specifically at a rate that would, as per EMPOP database five, exclude 99.98% to the sixth power of the North American population from the female hair on Costello. So what does all of this mean, Mike? And a lot of people will say, well, all of this occurred before July 13th, which is when Rex Hewerman was arrested. And mm-hmm. what did they do on the day Rex Hewerman was arrested? They swabbed Asa Ellerup and her two children. They did a buckle swab. Mm-hmm. So that is the swab that took so long to come back. And now it has come back. I'm going to toss it to you, Mike.
2: And Billy, that uh, slams pretty much slams the door shut. If you, you know, if you see DNA evidence as being, you know, as accurate as they say it is, and we know it is very absolute accurate, um, it puts Asa Alzerup somehow in some sort of contact under some circumstances with the, with three uh, of the, of the bodies that were recovered, not, um, The only one that she doesn't seem to have a hair attached to is Amber Costello. But other than that, in a way, it puts her right in the middle of the investigation. She's not just a a third-hand witness. She's right there in the center.
0: John Donahue, thank you so much for the 1999 super sticker. Wouldn't hairs be expected she lived in the same house as Rex? John Donahue, 100%. Mm percent That could be transfer evidence, but to play that devil's advocate could could that also mean that the victims were killed inside that house? You know, there is yeah. a
2: possibility of that, isn't there, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. And from what we know about Rex Herman, from just you know, criminologists looking at him and uh and just Thinking about what he does and how he presents himself, he's been videotaped and things like that. um, Talking in that one presentation he did about his business, yeah, you would expect that he was a very controlled killer, and so therefore, um, you know, he would probably feel very safe being in his own home where he can really uh, control all of the circumstances, rather than do it in a motel room or out in the woods somewhere. And the thing about it is. Uh, which makes it troubling, if you want to just look at it from a devil's advocate point of view, for Ace Alzra is that the hairs apparently, in one instance, at least one instance, they were found on the on the tape, uh, on the uh, on the duct tape. So there's transfer evidence. Maybe it was it, you could see okay on a on a belt buckle. Perhaps, maybe inside the 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 somehow with the uh, burlap. But it is troubling, and I think a lot of people are troubled by it. And in a way, you should be, that they, that at least one or two of the hairs may actually have been on the tape that was actually used to bind uh, the bodies of one of those girls. So that's what I think a lot of people have trouble, you know, coming to grips with the saying, "Well, innocent guilty is this a is this a husband wife sort of team?" And that's not unknown. There's not unknown. I know of a Canadian couple who were, they were uh, a younger couple and they were engaged in serial killing and the two of them did it together. So that troubles a lot of people in this case.
0: You know, Mike, one of the things that I want to keep uh, underlining to everyone listening is that the bodies were dumped there in like, I think it was 20,000, uh, 2009, uh, and they were not recovered uh, uh until t- uh twenty December eleventh, twenty ten. Right. So some of them were there for over a year. Yeah. yeah. So this this is out in the elements. Mm-hmm. Uh out, you know, in a very unfriendly environment, super hot during the summer and f- freezing cold is right on the ocean. Right in, in the in the wintertime. So when we talk about evidence that survived this, it's it's incredible And maybe one of the reasons something like hair, a very small particle of hair mm-hmm. that it did survive it was connected or held by the duct tape in, in right. some instances right. And so that is you know, and I just want everyone to understand that because when when we showed that slide of what what contains DNA, when we mean from an evidentiary point of view, Uh, usually in a, in a crime, uh, where there is transfer evidence, you know, you're talking about blood, semen, skin cells, tissue, organs, muscle, brain cells, bone, teeth, hair, saliva, mucus, perspiration. But in, in this instance, these bodies were out in the elements for over a year. So all of those things would have either been destroyed or dissipated. I'm going to play this from ABC news. They have a little angle on this.
3: Development in the Gilgo Beach serial killer case. Law enforcement are telling ABC News that a cheek swab sample taken from murder suspect Rex Heuerman's wife matches DNA found on the victims. And Aaron Kutursky has the latest on this story. Aaron, good morning to you. Good morning, DeMarco. This is
4: an important development for prosecutors as they decide whether to charge the alleged Gilgo Beach serial killer with additional murders. This morning, law enforcement sources tell ABC News DNA found on the body of at least one of the women dumped near Gilgo Beach on Long Island matches DNA from the estranged wife of accused killer Rex Huerman. Asa Ellerup, seen walking into Huerman's latest court appearance last month, followed by a documentary film crew, investigators had taken a sample from her cheek the day Huerman was accused of killing three women he had solicited for sex. The sources said that sample matched genetic material found on burlap used to wrap the body of Megan Waterman. Prosecutors believe the DNA match strengthens the case against Hewerman. They have previously cleared Eller up of any wrongdoing, saying she was out of town when the killings occurred. This is something different, but it actually adds to the uh, evidence you have brings it back to that household in Mesopequa
5: Park, and that's what's important. It is unusual, and it doesn't come up every day.
4: Hewerman has pleaded not guilty to killing three women, Waterman, Amber Costello, and Melissa Bartholomew. Prosecutors say he's the prime suspect in the killing of a fourth, Maureen Brainerd Barnes. Investigators believe they are now close to a decision whether to charge Hewerman with the fourth murder, but as yet, they've tied him to no other additional homicide cases, either on Long Island or
0: elsewhere in the country. Eva? so Mike yes. th- here's here's the problem um and this the hairs the hairs were transferred, I believe and and I could be wrong the hairs were transferred from either inside inside the house from Rex or from his wife onto Rex clothing or whatever and then transferred but to play devil devil's advocate and like a lot of people in mm-hmm. the chat are saying well how come the children of Rex Human and Asa Ellerup, who lived in the same household, how come their hairs and DNA aren't on these bodies? Can you answer that, Mike?
2: Yeah, Billy, that's a great question. That's a fabulous question because you would expect, if if um, Asa Ellerup hair was just you know in the environment, a hair or two, which you would expect you know, in, a, in, a, in a, like fingerprints and everything, your fingerprints would be probably at least one set in every room in your home. So, yeah, that's very troubling that the children's hair in a very small home was not there. However, Asa Alsrop's hair was transferred and it was transferred, it was inside the burlap wrapping and it was on the on the tape. And that is absolutely troubling because um, it's a small home um, uh, if, uh, he, if, it, if, it if, you know, how people's postulate he may have killed, uh, the, the, uh, victims in the basement where it's quieter and farther away from where the kids may be. The fact is, if you're talking about transfer, uh, hairs, you know, transfer DNA, that sort of thing, you would normally expect them. Uh, so why is there at least one hair from anyone else other than, you know, Asa? And that is very troubling. And that's what uh, gets a lot of people kind of upset that, you know, there is uh, this clearing of her name at this time. And many people may feel that there may be some connection either indirectly where perhaps theoretically she may have helped dispose of a body. You know that sort of thing, and that's something that cannot be completely, uh, you know, um, discarded. That theory cannot be completely discarded at this time.
0: Laura Kang, thank you so much for the nine ninety nine super sticker, folks. You got some really raising great questions in the chat. Yeah. How come there was no hairs from the dog or from the cat, uh, right. besides the children? How come there was no other evidence that, well. As we said earlier, we don't know did Rex Human commit these murders inside that house because again I would advise everyone to get a copy everyone that's interested in this case of that 32 page bail application reform for Rex Human you can pull it right up on the internet mm-hmm. and it is the best evidentiary document you will read on this case and it answers a lot of questions and also makes gives you a lot more questions to ask and one of the things they do is connect the times that they believe um, the victims disappeared. The, but they don't have, they can't pinpoint the times they can give a, basically they can give it a guesstimation. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, when was the last times they were seen? Right. And that basically is, is based upon cell phone evidence, uh, digital evidence if you will when they were last seen one of them was last seen at a hotel on a video camera so matching that evidence that digital evidence against when these victims disappeared is the best they can do and and with the, with that evidence with that evidentiary um material they have is what they use to clear asa elarab i'm not Really convinced of it though, you know. So, when Maureen Brainerd Bonds disappeared, uh, when was the, the last time she was seen? And it will tell you when this
2: uh, 30- she was last seen about July 9th, 2007, I believe. Maureen oh, Brainerd Barnes, right.
0: exactly. And so, they're matching that up with the the way, I, I, uh, Mike. I don't think it's just, just last seen, but I think they're also matching up the, the phones. The, right, the phone right. Uh, Melissa Bartelme on or about July 10th, 2009. Megan Waterman on or about June 6th, 2010. Amber mm-hmm. Costello on or about September 2nd, 2010. So all of those times and dates are the times and dates that they matched up that Asa Elrup left the country. Mm-hmm. Or in one instance, was in New Jersey.
2: Right. So, uh, Amber Costello, for her disappearance, uh, Asa was in New Jersey. Right. So does that satisfy
0: you, Mike, that she, that clears her? Or, or are you a little bit more inquisitive than that?
2: I'm I'm very, very um, inquisitive. You got to be as a cop. And I'm just not the most optimistic person in the world. I'm a little bit cynical. And it I find it ironic that when it comes to uh, Maureen Brainerd Barnes, who was one, uh, one of the four Gilgo Four girls um, and her death there's been no indictment in her death uh, so far, although we think Rex Sherman may be indicted soon. Uh, but in in that instance, uh, one, uh, one hair was found uh, and that belonged to um, ASA. So you know the the police right now, are, are clearing her, but clearance uh, right now does not mean they cannot circle back and revisit all of that technology and uh, think about the- theories about how the crimes, the crimes could have occurred. Uh, there's no immunity here. She's not been granted any sort of immunity, um, you know, that sort of thing. If at this point right now, they don't believe she's involved. However, that doesn't uh you know uh close the door on anything further should any other dna evidence come to light or any other eyewitness evidence come to light or any other evidence come to light um yeah i don't really appreciate the idea that um based just on the phone although we know the phone is absolutely crucial um there may be other you know explanations about the phone and where she was at the time that these events occurred, these girls went missing.
0: You know, Mike also, and and we'll get into it more later, but it uh, further complicates matters that based on this documentary that Mm -hmm. she signed with Peacock, NBC Peacock, to follow her around with cameras as she visits her husband in, uh, in jail, as she attends court proceedings. And I don't believe they'll, allow the cameras in the courtroom. I I can almost guarantee that. Right. But that sort of exacerbates things. And the other thing is is that if she does get thrown in as a suspect, she's already represented by counsel. So he would undoubtedly advise her not to talk to the police.
2: Right. Yeah, strange. Interesting as you bring that up. He's he's she already has an attorney and he probably helped work out this deal, obviously with uh with with the given the information for this documentary. Um, yeah, I, I think the best thing you always, they always tell you in law school is just tell your client to be quiet and, um, she's not going to say a word. And if I'm, if I'm, a, uh, the attorney, I do not want her to do any sort of voicing over. I don't want her giving interviews to anyone, uh, who's technically involved in putting together this project. If they want to take her picture fine and give her a million dollars. I'm, and I'm her attorney. I'm okay with that, but I would not ever under any circumstances want her to answer any sort of questions posed unless their questions are given firsthand. And then she and the attorney would then figure out what exactly to say. So I think he's going to limit severely her appearance as much as he possibly can with this documentary.
0: This is how News Nation spoke about this earlier uh, in the week.
1: About this DNA evidence is criminologist and Dr. Debbie Goodman. Uh, Debbie, thank you so much for being here. So obviously, as Laura outlined, the amount of DNA on these bodies will be a factor here. But does this revelation mean anything that the wife's DNA has been found on the victims? It seems like there are a variety of scenarios where she could still be completely innocent of these crimes.
6: Absolutely. Good afternoon, Kelly. Pleasure to join you for this um, conversation. So really, for me as a criminologist, there are two logical options, one of which is there is a possibility that she could be a co-defendant, and an actual participant in the crime. I know that may sound quite alarming to the viewers, but we have high-profile cases of serial and mass murders that are conducted by a married couple, one of which was a Canadian case. Um, They called it the Kenneth Barbie case. And these two uh, went on as to become serial rapists as well as serial murders. So it's a possibility. But what I think is really, Kelly, the more logical option is what we call DNA transference. So certainly between the married couples that are in a day-to-day interaction, close proximity, we have hair, we have prints, we have fluid and such, that it's quite likely that the hair that may have appeared on the burlap of which the, um, the decedents were wrapped in. It may very well just be the transference, what we also say, DNA association. Again, things are in the air, in the environment, in the content and context of which one resides. It's almost like, Kelly, the the pet and the pet owner, the pet sits on the couch, the, the cat, the dog, with fur, with hair. Of course, there will be that on the couch. Now, the pet owner comes, sits down. What's the likelihood and probability of this transference of the pet's hair and fur? Very high probability. So I think that's the more likely scenario. However, nothing can be discounted, and this must be looked at, again, by the by the district attorney.
1: Well, I think those are great points to highlight. So provided your extensive experience in this area, as DNA evidence is now so widely used, how common is a revelation like this where a spouse's DNA is maybe implicated in the crime scene but that person is innocent?
6: Yes, it's, it's highly likely. Because again, just the mere sharing of, sharing of what? Sharing of of mugs, of of a toothbrush, of environments in which one bathes. And again, this day-to-day interaction of being in close proximity really creates the higher likelihood and probability of this transference. So again, high on our list would be things like the hair, fibers, the prints, the saliva, and it can appear And yet it's very alarming, of course, that it appears at the site, if you will, or the scene where the decedents are. That's where the DEA, just because one has been ruled out, can absolutely be ruled back in.
1: Agreed. And it'll be interesting to see how much DNA was, in fact, located. Criminologist, Dr.
0: you know, Mike, that's Absolutely. what uh, w- had me confused even during the week was that the way a lot of the news stations, and I thought uh, news, uh, ma- uh, news Nation on this um, did a pretty good job, but a lot of the stations, they reported it as if there was brand new source of right. DNA. No. And that's what got so confusing, and I think that's what probably got confusing to all listeners as well and the true crime community. It was being reported that uh, – new source of DNA. And that's not true.
2: No, it's, uh, there's no, been no change in the sources of DNA and, and Asa Elzerup and, and you know, DNA. Um, but I think Dr. Debbie Goodman made a fabulous point. Um, you sit on a couch and in a small home that they have out in Massapequa Park, Asa might sit downstairs. If there's like a, say a finished basement, you know, or in a bedroom, if one of the victims, if the victims are killed in the bedroom or down there, and they're lying on the ground or they're on the sofa and perhaps he wraps them up in burlap and tapes them. um, It's very likely that that's how, um, that's a very good theory about how the uh, Asa Elzerop's hair got onto the tape or got inside the burlap, but uh, it is troubling. And uh, I would like to hear from Asa Elzerop, although we're not ever going to hear from Asa Elzerop because of her of her uh, attorney. But um, she left the door open and I'm glad she did because uh, uh, there is that possibility that there may be more to the story than what we believe happened right now, that Rex Sherman did absolutely every element of the crime and that Aza Elzerup had absolutely no idea whatsoever what was going on. There may be something else other than that theory. Absolutely. Dominique, it makes no
0: sense in her husband's DNA, but they couldn't have done it together. Well, you know, I respect your opinion, but and I don't I don't believe they did it together. I believe that he. Well, it's I sort difficult. Of, it's she, difficult. She was, she was an enabler. I think she yeah. didn't. She sort of turned a blind eye to to her right. husband's activities. Uh, right. It's a very and, difficult situation. Yeah, to wrap
2: your head around. Absolutely.
0: But I, I, I don't think she was an active participant. But having said that, I also am a little bit concerned as why the Suffolk County Police um, deemed her not a participant and uh, just sort of anointed her as innocent so mm-hmm. early on.
2: Yeah, Billy. I'm as as you're talking, I'm thinking all kinds of like like Phil says, spitballing, trying to come up with different theories. If what Johnny Ray had said in one of the affidavits, uh, one of the affiants had said about the um, about the latrapees and um, that perhaps both ASA and um, Rex were swingers, it is possible. And I'm always trying to think outside the box. Is it possible that ASA? you know, would participate in some ways in order to make um, Rex more attractive to someone to go out there, figuring there's a husband and wife. We're going to get, you know, have, in, you're going to have some sort of intimate relations, but you're safer with the wife there because there's less likelihood of personal danger. So she probably, I like the word you used, enabler. But that in that kind of, uh, you know, connotes that she was an inactive participant, not an actual active participant in the homicides. But uh, it is very troubling. And I think the uh, viewers and I I think you and I and and Phil and Bobby, we're all thinking, how does this all fit together? How does the puzzle all fit together? And we don't know. We don't have all the pieces yet. That's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Rene Keanu, uh,
0: thank you for the 199 super sticker. There, uh, Renee, actually, there was a hair from Rex, but mm-hmm. not from the children nor from the pets. Right. So this, could the burlap, could the duct tape, um, could it have been in a certain room that the children and or the pets didn't go into? Right. I don't know. That's a little bit hard to believe because we saw the condition or we were, were told the condition of this home. It was like a complete hoarder's home. So it would be difficult to believe that anything was separate in that house. But I can't explain why the children's hair and the pet's hair wasn't found right. where in the bodies. I, I can, My only explanation is that perhaps the duct tape and the, and the, the burlap was kept in a certain room. And we don't know if, in fact, we're, we're sort of what uh, Mike said before, spitballing of yeah. these crimes occurred in the House. We don't know that. But the evidence could have been dragged into the crime scene and thus
2: left on the victim's bodies. Mike? Yeah, Billy, as you said, um, Locard's, you know, principle of transference. Once you, you walk out of a room, you take something with you. You walk into a room, you, you drop something off there. So in a very small house like this, it is it, that they had in Massapequa Park. It is possible that perhaps there was a room with a television that was only the parents' room and the kids were never allowed into. Maybe it was, I'm just thinking uh, kind of like a finished basement, kind of a little bit out of the way because I know there was a, a gun safe down there. So it's possible that you could have a room where there, it's you know rare for the children to go in rather than say um, a den, a TV room, a kitchen, a mud room, you know, uh, you know, that sort of thing, a dining room, you know, so it is possible, but you're troubled by it. I'm troubled by it. And a lot of other people are, and I I think that's good because you would expect, you know, uh, you know, something, uh, you know, other hair there. Um, Yeah, it really limits, the, uh, really narrows down the possibility of where, if the homicides took place, and I think they did take place in that home, where they took place. And uh, it has to be, if at all, it would have to be in a a place that only ASA has, uh, and and Rex perhaps, have access to that's locked away. The kids are not allowed to uh, go there. That's the only explanation I have for that.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Rene oh, thank you again for 199 Supersticker. Asa, blind indifference or willfully blindness? You know, Renee, I think that Asa, um, whether she was physically abused, I don't know, but she was absolutely psychologically abused. I have no doubt in my mind about that because when we see the evidence of what this man was involved in based on the searches of his computer, he's a sick, sick individual. So sick individuals like that aren't normal in their interactions with family, friends, loved ones, coworkers. It, some of it had to come out somewhere to showing. And you heard uh, Commissioner Rodney Harrison basically say that Rex Schumann is a demon, you know, is a demon. Is a, is a, you know, he particularly called him an animal, right? And so those things had to come out in some fashion. Um, a lot of you guys are, are troubled by uh, Princess Adora, and you're so right. It yeah. took place many years ago. Conditions could have been different. You are 100% right. We, we right. just said one of the bodies, this 2009, 2010, and to 2010. So that's 12 years ago, 13 years ago, right? And how do we know what the conditions of the Uwoman's house was 12 years ago? 13, maybe, they, maybe they didn't have animals. Maybe... The house wasn't in the condition it is now. Maybe it took years to develop into what they became, hoarders. Folks, if you like true crime, real crime from a police perspective, then you're in the right place. And if you're not subscribed to us, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and ring that bell. And if you want to contribute to us, we have a Patreon with three different levels, and we also have a YouTube channel membership with five different levels. And we really appreciate all your support. We appreciate all our Patreon, our channel members, our friends, our subscribers, and uh, they support this show. And they've made this show what it has become. And we're very proud of, of the show uh, within the police off the cuff family. So Mike, that brings us back to um, John Ray, Attorney yeah. John Ray and I was always, I was bothered by his press conference and I wasn't convinced about it, nor do I have to be. I can be, have a free mind or based on my, my hypothesis, Mm -hmm. which is an educated guess. Right. Uh, Right. I used to say to my tech, my detective, stop hypothesizing and theorizing and start typerizing your report. (laughs) (laughs) That was the, that was the funny joke. But let me play a little bit of this with John Ray. And um, it's, I don't know, the witnesses that come forward to him, I don't believe they can be discounted. I don't believe they should be silenced. I believe they should be heard. But at some point,
3: they need to be vetted. And that's what we'll do here. Previous reports have said that the DNA from her cheek swab matched the hairs found on, you know, the burlap wrapping the victim. So from that, it would sound like we already knew some of this information. Is that the case? And if so, why would it then be
5: surprising at all? It may be the case that uh, the, the uh, present information is really originally the information regarding Alarub's hair. Uh, I'm told that the, uh, the hair is found on all three victims, that were—for which the charges of murder were made, and that there was a fourth hair found on the belt uh, that is so controversial in this case. It seems highly unlikely that such a development as that could ever have exonerated uh, Elra whatsoever. And when you really look at what the district attorney originally said, uh, at that time, he was talking at the very beginning of the investigation about uh, her, if you read the papers, her cell phone being in various places. That's not necessarily her. And even if it were her who had the cell phone, uh, nobody knows when these girls were actually killed. They know when they disappeared approximately, not when they were killed, nor when their bodies were moved, which could have been at a different time. In other words, she-
0: You know, Mike, that is actually a great point. It's a great point.
5: And and we said
0: that is that they, they know approximately uh, when they went missing, but they don't know when they were killed, and they don't know another good point is when they were moved to Gilgo Beach.
2: That's right, that's right, and that's and that is in Johnny Ray for as controversial and colorful as he is, he made fabulous points right there. And I think, um, when uh he was there at the press conference with uh uh, uh Suffolk County Commissioner Harrison, um and Harrison said, "You know, we're going to take this and we're going to vet this information. That's absolutely important because you, you know, you you don't like loose ends. I don't like loose ends, even as a uniform police officer. And you and Phil, absolutely not as uh, as detectives. And you as a supervisor, you want every loose end tied up uh, because you know what a defense, a good defense attorney can do with a loose end. He could just tie your your uh, case up in knots. So therefore." you know, every single uh, loose end has to be tied up N- nice and neat so we know exactly what happened. And he brings up a good point. We are not sure of the actual timelines of the interactions with if if it happened with Rex and these girls and where Asa, Asa was. We know her phone was in a particular location. We don't know where she was. Uh You know, a couple of days difference here or there could either uh, clear her or, or put her in as a prime suspect. And so, um, he brings up an excellent point and until we have it down, if we can possibly ever get it down to something, a lot smaller, uh, difference in time rather than approximately, approximately this, approximately that, uh, there's going to be that troubling, uh, question mark hanging over Asa Elsrop's head.
0: You know, Mike, what we're doing is, uh, talking about this case, and this is what real detectives do. They sit in rooms and they talk to each other about possibilities, probabilities, and then they decide on what direction they are going to. And regarding Asa Ellerup, they decided early on, at least as reported by then police commissioner, Rodney Harrison, that they didn't feel she was involved. So. That's what we are reporting. But we are also reporting the fact that she could still be put back into it if evidence reveals that she was involved. And like if anyone like in the chat thinks that's irresponsible, that's how real police work is done. By asking questions, uh, probabilities, uh, sitting around and talking, going over evidence, what you what you spoke to, who you spoke to,
2: evidence that you received your gut
0: feelings, all of that is part of
2: detective work. Yeah, the, Billy, this stuff takes a long time. And the, the detectives like you and Phil go over this stuff time and time and time again, looking at it from every single possible angle and see where the evidence actually leads you. And um, in this case, there's a lot of missing uh, things, and uh, messes that need to be tidied up and fixed up and explained. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me play more of this with John Ray.
5: He should still be in the ring of suspects. And maybe the district attorney is taking now a second look, and at perhaps at the, uh, to the grand jury, especially given Elric's sociopathic behavior that doesn't match that of an innocent person whatsoever, especially now uh, that she is selling herself like a ghoul eating on the dead uh, to get money uh, for herself. And yeah. it, it, it's just stunning, a stunning development. And the DA cannot look at that without, uh, a glance of great, uh, skepticism. And perhaps uh, we'll, we'll get somewhere now, finally, with what this woman is all about. Well, on, I that have point, we're, she's we're, we're
3: on that point, which is separate from whether or not she was involved, the seven-figure Netflix deal that you're alluding to there, you represent, you know, some victims, um, can only imagine how they feel about that. What have they told you about that, if anything?
5: There's several victims I've talked to uh, who, who are, we have a victim who's still alive, uh, and we haven't disclosed her yet. And we have other family members of victims who've spoken to me and told me, that what's, what this woman has done is unspeakable. Uh, and she's never once reached out in any sympathy for them whatsoever. Therein, it, 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 this is a person who is just like her husband. She also participated in the uh, sexual twists of her husband in her house. Uh, we have the witnesses to that effect. This girl needs to be looked at very, very carefully. Why she she el- is, like I said, feasting on the the deaths of these women. But the
3: prosecutors were fairly quick right to, to not charge her, to eliminate her has, um someone who would be charged with wrongdoing, saying, you know, she wasn't even there. She wasn't um, in the jurisdiction at the time of the murders. But you you clearly think that she had something to do with it, even with all of that said. She seems to have everything to do with everything that's happened
5: in that house so far. What's happened in that house is not clear. We don't know where the murders took place. Hmm. Um... You know, there could, there could be other locations where they took place. But how could all, how could this woman's hair and nobody else's hair, such as, for example, her children, such as her dog, right. her cat, not appear? And yet three of her hairs appear on three of the victims. in, in DNA that's so old, that's by the way. Didn't you think, uh,
3: I mean, you probably know more about this, but the fact that it's a decade old and you still have this, I mean, you would think it would be very uh, degraded. It wouldn't be uh, high quality, maybe not even identifiable. Uh, but it's apparently it is. I mean, what did you make of that? Uh, the fact that it was so old and still they have this the, this match reportedly.
5: Well, it it just means that the hair was did not uh, degenerate. That's what it would suggest to me. Yeah. Um, you know, more than that, I I can't say what it would mean. You know, the DA would know, but. You you know, the DA has been investigating this case steadily since the day that he first announced that she was in, apparently, another jurisdiction or jurisdictions. Those jurisdictions, by the way, are not far far away from the site of the murders. For example, once she was in New Jersey, Hmm. one can drive pretty quickly from New Jersey to to, uh, Long Island, no problem. I think the other jurisdiction was a middle state like Virginia, I'm pretty sure. And then the third one was Iceland. Uh, where she has her, her relatives. Okay. So, I mean, these, these these places are not that far away. You know, Iceland is, is a flight home. It, right. uh, we don't know when these things happen. There's no evidence of that. Maybe the DA does by now, but that has uh, to be looked
3: at. Right, the timing of the actual murders versus the discovery of the bodies and what have you.
7: Thanks so much for...
3: So this is what we were talking about,
0: especially uh, comparing the time they disappeared and marrying that up to the time that Asa Elrup had left the country or was not in the jurisdiction, difficult to totally pinpoint that as they don't know exactly when th- these young victims disappeared and they don't know exactly when they were dumped uh, right at Gilgo Beach. So, again, difficult, uh, and I, I always like to point out these are the what has become known on the screen as the Gilgo Four, Maureen Brainerd Barnes, Megan Waterman, Melissa Patelemy, and Anne Boleyn Costello. And ultimately, they are the most important thing about this case. They are the victims, and that's who we are the most concerned with. Uh, and it, 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 somehow, these spectacular cases become about everything else but the victims. And uh, we, we never want to lose sight that they're the most important part of this case.
2: You know, Billy, um, he makes a good point. Um, Johnny Ray makes an excellent point, and you know, we've we've uh, had our differences in terms of what we think of Johnny Ray over the course of the past six months. But he does intrigue me in that he did point out about the differences in where you know Maryland or Virginia. You could drive down there, and uh, I can get to Washington D.C. from my home in Yonkers in like four and a half hours on a good traffic day. Um, you can get to uh, New Jersey in like like an hour. Um, so th- those are good points he makes. He mentioned previous victims. Now, I'm not sure what he means by victims, unless he's alluding to the fact that perhaps he has, you know, uh, affiants who are willing to come forward, sign something, testify at a grand jury regarding some sort of uh, sexual trice involving uh, girls and uh, Asa Alzerup and Rex in the house. And if that's true, it would change. It may change uh, if, they, if this is verifiable. May change the way the police look at um, at ASA because at this point, especially when it comes to, um, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Maureen Brainerd Barnes, and on, on Maureen Brainerd Barnes, there was a human hair on one of the belts, uh, the belt uh, recovered from a belt buckle, and so I, I think that's rather tantalizing information if it can be verified, it's possible, it's possible, depending on how, if there is any other, you know, verifiable uh, testimony, um, and anything else they can come up with that, you know, if you take it out, take it uh, to its logical extreme, is it possible that she may be indicted as a, uh, in the death of, um, or of Maureen Brainerd Barnes, or, even uh, on a small, a lesser charge of, say, mishandling a, a dead human body. Um, so it, it's possible. But he brings up some tremendously important points. And I think that uh, I'm hoping that the task force is looking into all of these things that he's providing for them.
0: Absolutely. Lieutenant Peter Pranzo, Harlem Raiders, NYPD's finest. A- ASA may not take a murder rap hit but she will be taken for some type of cover-up or assisting it with the bodies or for enticing the young women into the household for her husband. You know, it's funny, yeah. Lieutenant Pete. That's what Mike was just saying. Yeah. I don't even know if he read uh, what, what what you what you wrote, but uh, yeah. great minds think a lot sometimes, you know, and it's... Uh, when Johnny Ray was talking about that he has some witnesses right now, live witnesses that right. actually had interaction, he didn't say it specifically, but yeah. I, I, he's uh, implying they had interaction with Rex Shuman, and he he told that uh, that story in the, in the press conference mm-hmm. that he had um, a woman, a man who was a New York City NYPD narcotics detective, and a second female that he believed was Karen Vagada. Right, and that went back to nineteen ninety seven. That was 1997. So it was nearly, uh, maybe even 96. It was 20, uh, 27, 26 or 27 years ago. Right. And the witness, the affiant, or the person who is swearing to this statement, is swearing to something that she saw or she participated in 27 years ago. Now, some of the things that she said and reported were checkable mm-hmm. were things that you could, they said that Karen Vergata, they picked her up in Manhattan and she had just gotten out of jail. That could be checked to see if in fact, Karen Vergata was arrested 26 or 27 years ago. Uh, according to the time frame of the affiant in this case, um, other things could be checked, but, it seems that a lot of witnesses or people, sometimes people will also want to get their names out there and become involved in something they actually had nothing to do with. Believe it, we were the po- we were the police, and people make false reports all the time. And I'm not saying that John Ray's witnesses, but you have to vet them. And so far, when John Ray had that press conference, the press bit it hook, line, and sinker. It Dave
2: was saying, oh, this changes everything. Now you don't hear anything about it again. Yeah, Billy, if the, if you got to, the, the SCPD has to um, go over who these people are. And I'm sure, I'm hoping by this point, Johnny Ray has provided the SCPD task force with all the information that he has. He's not holding anything back. And these people are vetted um, and I think that people in the chat should just keep, you know, keep remembering that a conspiracy to commit murder, a criminal facil- facilitation, meaning helping a crime occur or, or engaging in a homicide, those sorts of crimes, there is no, uh, especially involving a homicide, there's no statute of limitation. So um, if there is some, you know, concrete, credible evidence, then um, Asa Alzerup Should still should consider herself, and if I'm her attorney, I'm going to tell her that you know you have no immunity. You can still be dragged into this. You better be very careful.
0: Absolutely, And BB2 member for 16 months. Thank you so much, Sergeant Bill Ray. Just said they have a victim that's alive. How can this be hidden? Well, we just uh, we sort of just uh, addressed that at BB2, but uh, I sort of did it in reverse. I saw your comment and I uh, I commented on it, and then I brought you up on the screen. But thank you for your comments. Yes. Um, All of the, you know, Rodney Harrison, of course, took uh, some criticism about standing next Mm to uh, John Ray during his press conference, especially by Suffolk County District Attorney Ray Tierney, who seemed to have been horrified about that. But I felt that it made a lot of sense because could John, John Ray and the folks that he's bringing in as witnesses, Could they not become defense witnesses? Uh, And I'm asking a rhetorical question. Yes, they could be. They absolutely could be. So why not explore all the evidence and the information he's bringing forth so that he can't say down the road that the police refused to listen to me and I had alibi witnesses and I had witnesses that put Asa Ellerup right
2: in the trick bag here. Yeah, I think uh, perhaps Tierney was not nearly as welcoming uh, to uh, regarding Johnny Ray, another attorney, because Johnny Ray is a very colorful character, and Tierney is the you know chief prosecutor for the county. there. He's a DA. Um, I'm glad Rodney Harrison was more welcoming to Johnny Ray, and he did say, at, I think towards the very end of the press conference when um, when Commissioner Harrison spoke, he said, "We're going, we're going to look into this." And which to me indicated that perhaps they really hadn't taken what Johnny Wright had said over the years. Maybe they saw him as a gadfly, somebody who's just looking for some publicity, a guy who's a pest, but and maybe in the beginning he didn't have as much information at his at, at his disposal, and over the years has gotten some. I'm glad Rodney Harrison is embraced it and said, Look, we gotta we gotta look at all this because as you know, Billy. The moment that you don't, these people come forward, they can be defense witnesses and said, yeah, I, uh, you know, I've been giving the police information for several years now and I've tried to tell them what I know and they're not listening to me. And that is, that goes to creating reasonable doubt in a jury's mind. And as I like to let people know that, remember DNA evidence, uh, cell phone record evidence, it's all circumstantial and it can be disregarded by the jury. They may say something else is more credible and they can actually give the DNA evidence and the cell phone evidence not as much weight and, and credibility and, and weight as we and legitimacy as we think it deserves because they may uh, go with a different theory by as they're watching the case develop and they're listening to the testimony of the witnesses. So it's very really important, and I'm glad Rodney Harrison did it. You don't want these people popping up on the de- defense attorney's uh, witness list at the end of the trial. No way, no how. Absolutely not.
0: I'm going to play a little bit of this. sample
8: taken from the estranged wife of the alleged Gilgo Beach serial killer matched her DNA material found on the remains of some of the victims. Investigators took a cheek swab from Asa Ellerup. The night her husband Rex Hurman was arrested in July. Now they say that her hair was found on the burlap in which victims were found wrapped in. Prosecutors have cleared her of any wrongdoing and said that she was out of town at the time of the murders.
0: Well, you know that's uh, that was sort of a quick report that uh, you know that she was out of town, that she's right. been cleared by, uh, by by prosecutors yet. You know, that's one of the things we're just discussing now. What could she put be put back into the trick bag over this? And, you know, don't forget. And a lot of people were horrified by the fact that she is doing this documentary. And others are understanding. Oh, she needs money. He was a sole source of income. He left her high and dry. She's got cancer. She's. uh And, you know. When you talk about someone uh, making money, uh, and we spoke about the victims in this case, of course, who we care about the most, uh, the families of these victims, I think they're horrified by this, by the fact that a serial killer's family member can make money off the deaths of their loved ones.
2: Yeah, Billy, years ago you would think that, you know, if there was ever going to be a documentary or a Hollywood movie based on a true crime story, that it would take place after all the legal proceedings are finished. In this case, we have, and just like the Murdoch case, originally with, uh, as we remember from last year, there was a documentary going on r- right before the, the murder trial took place. Um, it's troubling the timeline because it's so compressed and, uh, and, and people should be concerned about it and say, well, you know, what gives and question it. Um, but I, we also understand that if, if in fact, Asa Alzarup is truly innocent, completely innocent, 100% of all charges, and she was asked to do this, help in this documentary, and you know there's going to be a documentary made sooner or later, and perhaps a book deal, and perhaps a, a regular Hollywood movie, um, she is probably looking for her family's health and welfare and saying I got to bring in some income. And if that's the case, you can excuse it. Um, But however, the victims in this case, I understand completely them being very upset because there hasn't even been a trial yet. And that's, and they want at least some sort of justice. And this just feels like a, a slap in the head you know, to them. And, and you got to understand that you got to be sympathetic to them too. It's Absolutely. not an easy thing.
8: In the coroner system in the United States. And one of my good friends, Joseph, great to see you. Okay. Let me first start here. I don't understand why he's been in Massapequa. If you listen to the, the evidence that he had been searching about the killer and felt that the heat might be on him. Why did he spend his whole life here? I was shocked. He's been there this whole time, if he really did commit these crimes.
7: Uh, what's he going to do? Pick up and leave, Jesse? I mean, he's got an established architecture practice. He's a Long Islander. As but he you allegedly mentioned. killed, he killed even, three
8: people. Why Wouldn't he, yeah, he
7: take off? Yeah, well, you would think so. But maybe, you know, look, this is all speculation at this point. But maybe it's a big game to him. Maybe he's playing cat and mouse. Look, this guy, you know, what was so fascinating about this, Jesse, is kind of the the linear deposition of these bodies along that coastline that you know better than anybody. You grew up in that region. And that area right there, and it's not that far away from his home, you know, not being a Long Islander, uh, you know, I had to map this thing out. He's 26 minutes from his street to this location. It's a very specific location that he would have had knowledge of and been very familiar. And what we do know about serial perpetrators is that they like to hunt and they like to perpetrate within those areas that they feel the most comfortable. And it seems as though if the police have the right guy, and it seems like they might, that 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 truth, that one truth does hold true. here. I have to tell you, the police work here. Exceptional. Really exceptional. Unbelievable. Uh,
8: because when we talk about cold cases
0: and- you know, that is the first time that I have heard because we've heard all kinds of mm-hmm. criticism on the Suffolk County yes. police, most of it warranted. However, True. once Rodney Harrison take, took over two years ago and uh, started the, the task force with uh, the Suffolk County Police Detectives, the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office, the New York State Police, the Suffolk County Sheriff's Office. Uh, am I leaving someone out? I said the state police, right? Yeah, yeah uh, you did. That was, that was the catalyst to getting this case going. And in fact- yeah a female investigator from the state police came up with the most important lead. And that was finding the Chevy avalanche and who it was registered to. And she found it was registered to Rex Schumann, who lived in Massapequa Park. Yeah. That information was in the folder for 10 or 12 years and no one found it. The, you know, sometimes things, you know, yeah. there's that old expression, you can't see things that are right in front of your face. And, and that was true. In this case, there was something right in front of their face that they weren't seeing. And I don't know why.
2: Yeah, Billy, I've heard explanations that they, uh, because it was like some sort of uh, not a truck and not a sedan, it was some sort some sort of like hybrid that when they put the information in the first time years ago, back in like 2010, um, that they misclassified it. But, but you know what? Uh, that's not much of an explanation. Um, you know, it it is it is really upsetting when you look back now and you say, "Oh my God!" Right then and there, they could have had this guy years ago. And we hope to God that there we don't someday discover that there is another body uh, that Rex, may, if it, that Rex may have killed after the date that they went and they they entered that information into the nicepin number. Or a night uh, I'm sorry, DMV and gotten, a, 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 you know, not a hit. And so um, you just shake your head sometimes. But uh, we just hope that, you know, SCPD continues on its professional trajectory because Rodney Harrison breathed new life into that department. Uh, thank good. Thank God he did it when he did it. Absolutely. They, uh, but
0: uh, again, they did deserve some kudos here.
2: And even okay. the Brian
8: Koberger case, when that probable cause affidavit right. came in, I mean, just terrific police work. From what you saw, whether it's the, the, the DNA from the pizza box that matches up to him, that matches up to the hair that was found in one of the bodies, his wife's hair that was allegedly on or near the victims, the car, what stands out to you as the strongest piece of evidence?
7: Okay, first off, kudos to the police, because you know what they were able to do that a lot of people can't in cases like this? Keep their mouth shut and keep it close to the vest. That's a big deal. That's an Achilles heel in a lot of cases. Nothing got out. I mean, we were all gobsmacked when this happened. I think probably that hair. And what makes this unique is that, according to what we're hearing, it ain't his hair. It's a hair that he's domiciled. It's a hair originated from an individual he's domiciled with. And it's degraded hair, degraded DNA. They had to hold on to it. Remember, the science actually had to catch up with this case. We didn't do mitochondrial DNA back in 2007. So that's very key. And also this discarded pizza box, Jesse. Oh, my God. They sat on this guy. They watched him. They watched his every move. So the circumstantial uh, indicators here pointed to him. The police just sat back and they waited. They waited for that opportunity where they were going to put their hands on that thing that would tie him back. I don't know what other DNA that they have that is a specific tie back because that box contained well, his DNA. There is.
0: You know, this is also, mm-hmm. uh, this report is before they, they swabbed. They had uh, it matched up to Asa Elrup and they uh, positively had the other hair, maxed to Rex Human. And again, uh, this is Dr. Morgan is talking that. The science uh, advanced so quickly. They didn't have these the ability to do this in 2010, but yet in 2022, 2023, they could do this now. And you notice the labs that are doing this work are private labs. So th- that's another thing. And we, wor- we worry whether this science will be accepted by the law. And that that could be a problem down the road also.
7: Yeah, believing there, it's ahead, it's Mike, very high. It's
2: very high standard for acceptance of this sort of information because uh, there's a, a case called the Merrill Dow case from years ago, two thousand, early two thousands. Supreme Court said, you know, you have in order to have this sort of scientific evidence, not only has it has to, it, it, the old uh, standard was is it generally accepted in the community, scientific community. Now it's a much higher standard, and it's uh, you know you have to have demonstrated many times of the re- continued reliability time and time and time again it has to be written about it has to be approved by the community scientific community it has to be written about there has to be uh, law journal articles about it so therefore it's much higher and so this is what i think is troubling for some uh you know defense attorneys is that the science has moved so fast that has the legal st- is is it is is it still as reliable as we want it to be in a court of law in order to satisfy uh, the burden of persuasion uh, and uh, the Merrill Dow standard. And that's and as a defense attorney, you know, I could see that. It has moved so fast, so quick that and it seems so amazing. Uh, you just hope that it is all absolutely correct and reliable in like 100% of the cases. Absolutely. Let me play a little more of this, Mike.
8: And I, I wanted to ask you about the way the bodies were found. If we can play yeah. this, this is number one. Um, this explains this DA tyranny explaining how the victims were bound.
7: Right. Uh, they were
8: buried in a similar fashion, in a similar location, um, uh, in, a, in a similar way. Uh, all the women were petite. Uh, they were... Um, they they all did the same thing for a living. Uh, they all advertised the same way. Uh, and there were uh, immediately there were similarities with regard uh, to, the, to the, uh, the crime scenes. Uh, all, the women's, all the women were bound at the head, uh, at the midsection, uh, uh, or at the chest, and later at the legs. So, Joseph, I'm not going to go through the internet searches that he allegedly made on a burner phone because they are just absolutely sickening. But I'll tell you this much: the way the bodies were found seems to be very consistent with those searches. What do you take away from the the way these uh, bodies were these people were killed? Yeah, the, the first person
7: that comes to mind, Jesse, is is buy and torture, kill, is Dennis yep. Rader. You know, when you begin to think about uh, these various uh, points along the continuum that he had an interest in, that's as far as I'll go with that. But what I will say. When it comes to these bindings, that gentleman was very specific. They are bound, and so those knots in particular are going to be particular to the individual that tied them. It's kind of like a signature. Also when we get we look back also, we don't know all of the evidence that they have at this point. Think about those burlap bags. How often have we heard about burlap bags in all the cases that you and I have covered? That's something very unique to this individual. Did they come from the same manufacturing lot, perhaps? Is that something that the police have where they manipulated or cut in a particular way in order to facilitate the storage of a body? And Thank you for watching.
0: That was uh, excellent. And One of the things yeah. I just want to bring up about is that serial killers work in a very specific way, and they have what's called, and, and we know in law enforcement as M.O., modus operandi. And they like to do things in a very specific way. And frequently, uh, perpetrators do not like to change their modus operandi. And I won't say that they will never change it, but they don't like to change it. And then there's also something called signature, which can be something that a perpetrator does on every one of his crimes. And I I don't think Rex, if you want to call wrapping the bodies in burlap bags, his signature, that potentially could be signature, but it could also be part of his MO. But it's more or less how they would commit the crime. And if you read the bail application affidavit, there are no causes of death uh, listed on in the bail application. However, it is said that they all died from a homo- uh, homicidal uh Cause not, yeah, from natural causes, but they don't say they died from asphyxia, they Mm -hmm. died from a gunshot wound, they died from blunt trauma. That, I guess, was impossible to tell based on the fact that they were out there for over a year,
2: yeah, Billy. If if they did, that would be you know the the cherry on top of the ice cream sundae, they don't have that, but all of the other MO part of the MO that you're talking about, the uh. The binding of the bodies, you know, head, chest, legs uh, wrapped with duct tape, put into a burlap bag, a burlap, some sort of camouflage burlap placed in a particular spot all within, you know, uh, all four found probably within several hundred yards of each other, indicating that a, this person who put them there um, is one person. And he put them there because that's the best place that he could figure out to put them where they would never, ever be found. Um, uh, and, you know, serial killer, they have their M.O. It may change. We've, we've talked about that in previous um, in previous shows, but they want to be in control of their environment. They want to do things a certain way. If they can get away with a crime one way, they may go back and do a very similar crime the second time because there's a lot less variables they get it down they figured out the successful ones they'll try it again successful twice they'll keep going and so therefore it's all about control you got to be in control you got to be in control of the uh how you do it how you dispose of the person um you know all of the little variables you want to be in control absolutely venus
0: gal so was the belt buckle a big mistake or an intentional taunt, in your opinion? I think the belt buckle uh, happened to be a mistake. Hmm. I think he made a mistake. However, there was signs of taunting in this case, and that occurred when he actually used the phone of one of the victims to call her sister. I think it may have been of um, uh, Melissa Bartellomé. I believe he used her exact f- her phone, which he took from her, after he killed her, and called and taunted her sister. Yes. In other instances, he used burner phones Mm -hmm. to call family members and taunt them. That is a sick, sadistic way of a sexual psychopath. And they get off on things like that. Another thing that's common with serial killers is that they like to go back and visit the crime scene. I would not be surprised if Rex Schumann had gone back to the area where he dumped the bodies just to sort of relive the thrill of that. And that's a common psychological pathology of a serial killer.
2: Mike. Yeah, we saw this um, with, uh, to- uh, with the Koberger case when uh, his cell phone was tracked to going back to King's Road, the Kings Road uh, residence eight hours after we believe the homicides were committed. Uh, He was back in the area. And uh, yeah, we know this is also true with arsonists, serial arsonists. They want to, uh, they run away and then they come back to see how great their handiwork is and see all the emergency trucks all over the place. And and yeah, and maybe too uh, with human he'd return just to see what the graves look like because, you know, you might be digging up that grave at uh, three o'clock in the morning and you want to go back. Uh, some other time to make sure in daylight, does it look disturbed? You know, did you do a good job covering your tracks? And so therefore, yeah, um, that's a very common thing. And I wouldn't be surprised if he did that.
0: You know, Mike, I would sometimes uh, in Homicide, uh, when we would go to a scene and it would be a big crowd Mm -hmm. uh, behind the yellow tape, I would take pictures of the crowd. Right. And that served several purposes. One was that when we did canvases and people said, oh, I, I know nothing about this, I wasn't even out there, or we could identify people in the crowd that were out there and we would grab them and bring them in and say, uh, what'd you see? And of course, I was I was in New Jersey and you would be well, you're in this picture that I you <laughs> gotcha. several minutes after the murder, so you better come clean. You know, or potentially the killer could be in the crowd as sure. we were just talking about Killers like to check out their handiwork, if you will, even though that's probably a bad way to put it. But that's absolutely true. I want to play a little bit of this here.
1: Murders returned to court on Long Island today. And for the first time, Kierman's estranged wife, who is now under contract with a production company, was also there. Prosecutors say they may be close to filing charges in a fourth murder. Here's Long Island reporter Shante Lance.
9: Surrounded by state court officers, Asa Ellerup, the estranged wife of accused Gilgo Beach serial killer Rex Hureman, attends his court appearance, a first since his summer arrest and arraignment. How was it being there? Ellerup says nothing. The mother of two filed for divorce from Hureman shortly after his arrest, but recently visited him for the first time in jail.
0: Other than the correction officers and myself, he hasn't really had any interaction with anybody. So the fact
9: that his wife, his family member, was able to see him, and they talked. That that was important. to him. Inside the courtroom, Rex Hurman, standing tall and stoic, is silent as his attorney and the prosecutor discuss evidence. Primarily today, what we, we
8: turned over was all of the lab work that was done in the case, as well as the underlying
0: notes. The last thing that we're really looking forward to, and we have not received them yet, are all the notes of the investigations from all the police officers and detectives involved in this case, because as many of you know, there were so many suspects over the years.
9: Hewerman has been charged with three murders and is a prime suspect in a fourth. Suffolk County District Attorney Ray Tierney speaking to me about the fourth murder outside of court. He's a prime uh, suspect for a fourth possible murder. Where are you guys with that in the investigation? Uh, yep. Uh, how are you? Uh, so the grand jury is continuing and uh, the grand jury in that,
8: that matter is continuing. We anticipate it um Concluding, and
9: uh, shortly, Rex Huerman is due back in court in February. Rex Huerman. So
0: mm-hmm. uh, now we know, of course, that his wife is now visiting him. We You may ask the question, is she visiting him now because she misses him and and supporting him, or is she visiting him now as part of the show business for this documentary?
2: Yeah, it's tantalizing because it's a tantalizing question because you're not sure. Um, you know, husband and wife, you always got that confidentiality of information, um, which can under some circumstances uh, be broken. Uh, and she, she could possibly in the future, if there's any sort of her, her involvement is ever formalized in some sort of, um, you know, uh, grand jury, not grand jury, grand jury subpoena and also an indictment, you may, you know, you may have a totally different uh, relationship between those two. But it may be uh, just for Hollywood, uh, just to get some shots. But or maybe uh, if you look, if you're really cynical, you're thinking perhaps he's going to agree to keep his mouth shut. She'll agree to keep her mouth shut and let just don't make it any worse uh, with the Maureen Brainerd Barnes case, which is the one that uh, they're looking to indict him for next. So very tantalizing question.
0: Absolutely. Folks, if you're looking for a great defense attorney in the New York metropolitan area, then Joe Murray is your man. Joe's a retired NYPD police officer and a fantastic defense attorney. You can reach Joe on his cell at 718-514-3855. Email him at joe at jmurray-law.com or go on his website, jmurray-law.com. Not only is Joe a fabulous Defense attorney, but he's a friend of the show and a big supporter of the police off the cuff podcast. So, Mike, I'm gonna go just to wrap this up. Uh, and here's here's the flyer for this show positive DNA swab on Asa Elrob. Will she be charged? And my feelings are, uh, no, she will not be. I, I believe that it is transfer evidence. And, but I also believe and I and will put this out there is that if there is evidence that points towards her at any time she could be brought into this case and she can be
2: charged. Your thoughts? Billy, I agree, right. At this point, the, the tyranny doesn't seem to be uh, zeroing in on her whatsoever. Things may change, but I, I agree 100%. right now, the chance if things are going the way we predict they're going to go, that she will not be part of this, uh, of this case at all. And, um, she'll, she'll be free. Um, but, uh, you know, you don't know, you just don't know until the, until, until the investigation continues until we get any other further evidence, but I agree. I don't think so. I think it's probably transfer evidence, but you never know. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: I want to thank everyone for tuning in on this uh Sunday early evening. I know you went away from your football games, your soccer games, or whatever to join us, but I really appreciated uh many people, many new people joining us today. Uh I felt it was an important thing to talk about. Many others reported on this, but I thought that the way that the media reported it, it was a bit bit confusing. And I wanted to clear that up. And I think uh we did that uh, with my my friend uh Mike Geary here, the voice of reason, the attorney, the <laughs> retired NYPD sergeant. Thank I you. think we did a Thank pretty you. good job doing that. Uh, Mike, your final words. Oh,
2: just uh, for everyone to please, um, you know, read as much as you can on this case, learn as much as you can on this case. And if you're wondering about what's going on, tune into Police Off the Cuff, because we're going to give it to you from a police officer's perspective, a homicide detective's uh, perspective, not a journalist perspective or somebody who's just, uh, you know, looking for cl- uh, clicks on the internet.
0: Folks, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Bill Cannon from Police Officer the Cuff, Uh On behalf of myself and Professor Mike Geary, have a great day and God bless. Good
6: okay. night.